Welcome to the Cashflow Ninja, the podcast sharing how to create and grow income streams and manage, multiply, and protect your wealth in the new economy. Are you tired of trading your time for money? Do you desire freedom today instead of retirement in 10, 20, or 30 years? I'm MC Lobsher, and this is the Cashflow Ninja. Hello, Cashflow Ninjas. MC Lobsher here, and welcome to another episode of the Cashflow Ninja. I have a great show for you today. In today's show, we're going to look at how to take your income and investments to the next level. My guest in today's episode is Chris Larson. Chris is the founder and managing partner of Next Level Income. He has been investing in and managing real estate for over 20 years. While completing his degrees in biochemical engineering and an MBA in finance at Virginia Tech, he bought his first single-family rental at age 21, expanded into uh, development, private lending, buying distressed debt, as well as commercial office, and ultimately syndicating multifamily properties for the past four years. In addition to real estate, Chris has invested in equities, oil and gas, small business lending, as well as being active in Venture South, one of the nation's top 10 angel investing groups. After spending 15 years in the medical device industry, he started Next Level Income with the goal of helping investors become financially independent through education and investment opportunities. He began syndicating deals in 2016 and has raised more than $12 million and have been actively involved in over $150 million of real estate acquisitions. If you've not checked out my new podcast, Cashflow Investing Secrets, I would highly recommend it. It's a shorter show, 10 minutes or less, where I share one concept and or idea at a time, what I've learned from interviewing over 500 Cashflow Ninjas. You can listen to the show on your favorite podcast, video, and live streaming platform. We also have an investment group and community for accredited investors. If you're interested to join the group, please visit CashflowNinjaInvestorsNetwork.com. You can also join us on Facebook by searching Cashflow Ninja Community. My friend Brian Page has created a cash flow machine generating over $100,000 in six months without owning any real estate. His system consists out of renting properties from property owners and renting them out on Airbnb. His system is so simplistic, it can be managed by virtual assistants and yet so effective and powerful that it predictably generates cash flow every month. Brian and I are hosting a webinar where he shares his system and how it generated over $100,000 in six months for him personally. You can access this life-changing webinar at cashflowninja.com forward slash BNB. This is one of the greatest cash flow opportunities I've seen since I've started my podcast. Again, the URL is cashflowninja.com forward slash BNB. Chris, welcome to the show. Thank you, MC. I'm excited to be here. Yeah, awesome to have you on. Always appreciate our conversations, and uh, we've had a lot of fun over the past couple of months, so really excited uh, for you joining me on the show. Chris, can you share a little bit about your background and journey with my listeners? I'd love to. Yeah, so I've, I've been you know, an investor, something we've talked about um, a lot, MC, for really uh, over 20 years since I was in college. Um, I I grew up uh, in Maryland, uh, kind of blue-collar background. My parents were savers. My father actually uh, passed away when I was five years old. Um, 
which really kind of gave me, I think, a, a perspective on life, um, just kind of how much I appreciate you know, the value of, of living every day. So some people ask me, you know, why do you do so much? And uh, really, I, I'd see every every day as a gift. And, you know, this year is it's more uh, kind of important than ever because I'm, I'm the same age this year as when my father passed away. So I've been thinking about it a lot over the past year, um, you know, as I've kind of kind of neared this point. Um, but I was fortunate enough, had a, a great stepfather that my mom remarried. And, you know, really my first passion was racing bicycles. I started racing bicycles when I was 14. And I know you have a competitive sports background as well. And the, the discipline I got, the competitive nature, the camaraderie, uh, the confidence I got out of that was phenomenal. It was really my, my true love. You know, I went to college, but I really just wanted to race my bicycle. And uh, started uh, at Virginia Tech after high school. And I was racing my bike. I was in the engineering program. And I was just, just kind of struggling to get by. Um, I wasn't a great student. I was I did okay in high school, got pretty good grades, which got me into college. And after my uh, freshman year of college, my, my best friend passed away, had a massive brain hemorrhage, uh, died on the side of, a road, side of the road um, in a bike race. Um, I went to the hospital with him, and that was the last time I saw him. And it was really, it was really a smack, smack to the face, a kick in the gut um, all at once. Um, I'm kind of clamming up just talking about it because he was my, he was my best friend and he was like a brother to me. I mean, we rode together every day. We trained together. Um, we were, we were actually going to be roommates in college. He was a year younger than me. And I really didn't think about it that year, but I spent the next year racing my bike and I'll never forget that a year later, the following summer, I was winning a ton of races. I had, um, I'd done done really well, some professional races, regional races. And I won uh, my friend's memorial. His name was Chris Strader, and it was in Crofton, Maryland. And I, I won the race for the second year in a row, and I felt nothing. And here was, here was a sport that was my passion for, you know, really my entire adult life at that point, and I didn't feel anything. So I went back to school. Um, I it was going into my junior year. I was kind of having a crisis of identity at that point because I didn't want to be an engineer. I wanted to race my bike professionally. A lot of stuff was going on in cycling at the time with, you know, the whole uh, doping in, in the late nineties. And I had friends coming back from Europe and I, I wasn't going to do that. That wasn't really my thing. And I tell people I wasn't, I was lucky. I wasn't good enough to be there. I was kind of like good enough to be a pro, but not great. And I, I really had to kind of figure out what I wanted to do. And I, I, I got introduced to investing by a family friend named Clint Provenza, who also introduced me to cycling. And I really, my, my love for cycling and my interest in finance uh, kind of drove me towards looking at investing because you don't make much money as a cyclist. So even though that following year I quit cycling and I kind of struggled my way through the end of my engineering program, uh, my, my love for investing and my desire to be really to have freedom to do what I want uh, started started to ignite inside of me that fire, and you know after my friend died, I thought, well, geez, I have to live life to the fullest. So, I, I ended up finishing my degree, uh, ended up getting an MBA, um, and decided that that I wanted to be an investor. I'd played around in the stock market, 
and I'd made, made a lot of money for a, for a college student, also ended up losing a lot of money at times. Um, and during that time, I decided that real estate investing was the time for me. So, you know, kind of leading up to that point, you know, you've heard, you've heard kind of a lot of different things, but in that year, I was uh, 21 years old, I believe, 20, 21 years old. Um, yeah, I was 21, bought my first investment property at age 21. And it was a townhouse. Um, I ended up living in one bedroom, renting the other rooms out. And I basically lived there for free, bought another townhouse, rented all those three rooms out to students. It was kind of like my own little mini multifamily portfolio. So I built my, my portfolio of properties, uh, ended up going to work in the medical device space, uh, spent over 15 years in that space. And that was really a vehicle for me to, you know, get cash to invest. And I, I really, I, I put as much cash as I could into investments. Uh, into the real estate space specifically. And, you know, long story short, uh, ended up kind of evolving out of single family into multifamily. And about uh, three years ago, um, ultimately started syndicating uh, our own deals with our own group of investors. Fantastic. And one of the things that I picked up there too, is a framework too, that I, that I see with a lot of successful folks is, you know, you figure out early that there, there's got to be a cash generator, right? A cash creator. Um, and, and that was, that was obviously your skill set of, of sales and being in the medical device industry and then utilizing that to go and, you know, invest in real estate. What were some of the other things that you learned foundationally uh, from wealth creation early on in your journey? Cause you, you looked at a couple of different things. You mentioned the stock market, real estate and so forth. What were some of the foundational building blocks and things that you looked at as well? Yeah, it's a good question. Um, you know, so really the, the, the basics MC are, I knew I had to one, make money, I had to save money and then three, I could invest that money. So, you know, I, I wanted to find a profession, a high paying professional profession, um, I looked at several different sales areas, but I wanted something where I could um, ultimately become accredited, so make over $200,000 a year. And my rule was I wanted to live on 50% of my after-tax income. When it came to actually investing, uh, real estate appealed to me um, because I have, I have an MBA in portfolio management. And one of the things that you look at as, a, as an institutional portfolio manager, which I wasn't, but studied how to be, is is uh, risk risk versus return. So you know they measure that with what's called a, a sharp ratio. So for me, I was always looking for investments that I could you know not only put my money into, um, but had a very high return based upon the risk that they had. And you know one of the things that I know you know you, you talk about cash flow ninja is cash flow. So I, I look for cash flow investments specifically. Um, and I think that helped that helped to mitigate uh, the risk. So, um, cash flow investments, control, and risk-adjusted return. Those were the big the big things that I looked for when I was looking um, for where to park my money. During the last financial crisis, too, and the the well, the economic crisis that the the country had. What were some of the things that you learned from that, too, um, as far as your overall framework that you use? What were some of the adjustments that you made? Yeah, so uh, I learned that I'm really good at timing the market. And what I mean is I listed my first property for sale 
um, right at the end of 2007. And I watched the value of that property drop about 20% while it was on the market. So I, I, picked, a, I picked the market top perfectly. Um, I should have started selling about a year earlier. Um, so I, I, say that, I say that jokingly, uh, but I did stop buying properties uh, a couple years before that. So fortunately, yeah, I learned that uh, you need to make sure that if you own a property, uh, you want it to be cash flow positive. So even if there is a downturn, you know, you're not lying, you're not relying on that, you know, speculative appreciation. And I saw a lot of friends uh, lose a lot of money, and, and some of them even go bankrupt. And you know, a lot of people that were relying on that speculation lost, you know, not you know tens or hundreds of thousands of dollars, but millions of dollars and and years off their life. Um, I also learned that you know the stock market is a lot riskier than people think. So. You know, I had I had watched the stock market go up and down uh, in the late '90s, and I was I was swing trading, I was day trading, so I followed those trends, and I knew that the market could make big moves and you could profit by it because we saw the Nasdaq drop, um, you know, over over three quarters significantly back in that time. So that was a that was a reaffirmation of that. But the big thing that I learned, MC, was that the real estate market goes in cycles. And I remember when my parents were both working for a construction company in the early 90s and the savings and loan crisis happened, they both lost their jobs. And then I was in business school and I watched the market pull back uh, after 9-11 happened. And now I know that there was a pullback happening as well, but you know it was easy to kind of attribute that to what had happened. But then when the market crashed again in 2008, 2009, it, it really affirmed in my head that, hey, there, there's, some, there's some big cycles going on. So I started to study that. And what I looked at was uh, specifically the cycles in real estate. And I wanted to say, okay, what, what types of real estate do well in what cycles and what types of real estate are going to be the, the best during those down cycles? Because you know, like Warren Buffett says, rule, rule number one is don't lose money. Rule number two is don't forget rule number one. <laughs> so true. And one of the, the the big challenges that you see out there and a lot of the folks that you're educating and speaking to is um, professionals making a lot of money um, that are still falling kind of into this this Wall Street trap, right? That you and I have talked about, uh, spoken about quite a bit and we speak about quite a bit on the show. Uh, obviously, the, the, the lack of financial education is just kind of a, uh, astounding, even with very, very high earning folks. And you're doing a lot trying to educate folks and showing them a different way. Absolutely. So yeah, a lot of our investors are you know, spending, spending the time I did in the medical device field. We have a lot of investors that are doctors, um, surgeons, you know, very highly educated professionals. I think a lot of people don't realize how risky the stock market can be. You know, I you know, I actually wanted to be a financial advisor. And what I came to realize was the fees associated with that industry were more than I wanted to personally pay. And I couldn't come to sell somebody a product and, and rely on those fees that I didn't want to pay myself. Um, I also realized that, you know, it's the stock market isn't necessarily the best place to put your money, especially if you're relying on that for retirement. And you know, if you time your retirement incorrectly and the stock market drops 40%, which it did back in 2008. My father-in-law, uh, you know, he had to postpone his retirement significantly after that because his portfolio, his portfolio value dropped. So when, when you watch those things, you see your parents lose, lose jobs, um, you see your friends lose jobs, you see you know, people really suffer during these, these hard times, 
you you don't forget that. So for me, you know, I remember telling my wife, like, I'm not going to let that happen to us. And I'm going to take every reasonable step to mitigate the risk and make sure that, you know, not only are we protected, um, we, have, we have a lot of insurance to, to protect, you know, the severe downside risk, like I saw with that happened to my father. Um, but also, we're going to have different buckets, we're going to have, you know, cash flow investments. I mean, frankly, we do have a small portion of our portfolio still invested in the stock market, but we're not relying on that to to get where we need to be. So I think that's important for you know people to realize that are out there and being told, "Hey, you're making a lot of money. Give me your money. I'm going to invest it for you, and you can just live off four percent, and you'll be fine." That's that's not always the case, and that's a, in my opinion, a pretty risky plan. You talk about next level income, and there's a formula that you teach uh, a lot of folks. And I love the, the content that you put out. Uh, could you share a little bit more about it? Yeah, thank you for that. Um, yes, yeah, so Next Level Income was founded about a year ago. And what the reason we did it, MC, is we, we had a lot of investors that we have conversations with, and we, we'd share our, you know, um, our thoughts, uh, you know, our advice, and kind of what, what we've done. Um, but I'd also get a lot of you know, people that said, hey, I want to be an investor, but what can I do to get to that point? And we wanted uh, a platform that not only curated information, but also gave the ability to educate people so that they could ultimately get to financial freedom. And I know you and I share a passion for that. So it's a, it's a pretty simple formula. It's next level income is a formula to help you make more money, make more income, save more money, and ultimately reach the next level of your investment. So make money, save money, invest money. And the goal of investing is to replace your current income and ultimately develop financial freedom and long-term wealth that can be passed down through generations. You also shared a little bit of, of building it from the ground up, right? Because you still have some money in the stock market, but that's at the top of the pyramid, right? That's something that is more speculative in your bucket where I think a lot of folks, if you can, if you're listening to this, uh, if you can imagine a triangle, you know, and right at the top of the, the pyramid is is the little speculative bucket where I think most people have theirs completely flipped upside down, right? With most of it in their house and and in uh, you know in the stock market in in qualified retirement plans. Absolutely, and you know, you could even say there's there's even more speculative investments, you know, like uh, like venture capital. You know, which is really the kind of the icing on the top of that pyramid, if you will. But yeah. I think you're right. I think you know we kind of have it flipped upside down. You know, we're told, hey, you know, don't you know buy term insurance. You know, you know, save ten percent, put it in the stock market, put it in mutual funds, and you know, do that for for forty years, and then you can live off four percent. You're gonna you're gonna live off less than you made. Well, first off, I I don't like the sound of that. I want to I want to live a life of abundance in every way. But I think the first thing that I did, so the first thing I did um, is I developed an emergency fund. And I think that the first thing that people need to do is make sure that they can set aside enough money that if their car breaks down, if they lose their job, if there's a, a small fire in their house or their apartment and they need to replace some things, that you can, you can go and you can access that money. Number two, make sure you are adequately insured. The first thing I did when I found out my wife was pregnant is I researched and ultimately bought uh, a high cash value life insurance policy, which you know we, we call cash flow banking MC or uh, kind of the infinite banking model, right? And I wanted to make sure that if something happened to me, that my family was taken care of because you know my father 
had a small amount of life insurance when he passed away, um, you know, kind of in the grand scheme of things. But it was enough to make sure that my sister and I could go to college and, and not be overburdened with that. We, were, we lived a very modest uh, lifestyle up into that. Like I said, my, my parents were savers, but it was great to have that backstop. Um, so I think insurance is, is really kind of the, the, the foundation of an investment. And then you know, really, I think for me, it's how do you find a way to replace your income? And once you have a way to replace your income through investments, then you go to more speculative investments. And that it could be the stock market, it could be uh, development like spec houses with real estate, um, it could be uh, venture capital, things like that. But I think you know people are told the exact opposite. They're told you know buy term insurance, invest money in the stock market, and be careful of those other risky alternative investments. Even though. Uh, a lot of times, they're they're the fastest way to achieve financial independence. You're listening to the Cashflow Ninja, the show helping people all over the world create monthly cash flow and achieve freedom today, not in 10, 20, 30, and or 40 years. This is a show where cash is not king, but cash flow is king. We will be right back after a word from our sponsors. My friend Dave Zook from The Real Asset Investor says, you can be conventional or you can be wealthy. Pick one. The Real Asset Investor team creates value for investors looking for higher yield returns from ATM machines and self-storage investments. Their syndications offer attractive investment opportunities that produce strong cash flow, equity growth, huge tax incentives. They are truly passive and managed by a world-class team. To learn more about the exciting investment opportunities the Real Estate Investor offers, such as their ATM and self storage syndications, please visit cashflowninja.com forward slash Real Asset Investor. MC Lobshire, the creator of the Cashflow Ninja and Cashflow Coach at Producers Wealth, where we help our clients integrate infinite banking with their business and investments. To learn how you can create your own banking system to turbocharge your investments and business in 30 days or less, go to yourownbankingsystem.com. That's yourownbankingsystem.com. You're listening to The Cashflow Ninja, the show helping people all over the world create monthly cash flow and achieve freedom today, not in 10, 20, 30, and or 40 years. This is a show where cash is not king, but cash flow is king. Now let's return to our interview. Uh, what can you share with regards of building out a framework and a, and a plan for folks? Because there might be a lot of listeners that's on their journey, a lot of folks starting. I mean, now's a great time to to put the infrastructure of a, a nice plan in place as we are ramping up to 2019 and heading into 2020. Uh, so do you mean, uh, you mean like, uh, like we call them the buckets in our book. So like kind of how, yeah. how somebody would set up, you know, their plan. Yes. Yeah. So the way, the way we talk about um, our buckets and I'll kind of talk about the framework that I used. Um, so really I, you know, I put a, a high, high cash value or, or cash flow life insurance policy in place and I fund that every month. So, you know, again, I think that, you know, taking a step back, rule number one is live below your means. So I think people need to, to find something where they can make money and ultimately spend less than they're making and then pay yourself first. So, you know, let's say you're making, um, just make, make nice round numbers, $10,000 a month, you pay, you know, 20, 25% in taxes. Maybe you can, you can save, uh, $2,000 a month. Well, 
find a place to put that. I say, go set up a life insurance policy. The policy that I used has access to that cash. So I can use that as my, my emergency fund. So it's, it's got, it's got multiple uses. Um, and then, you know, after you have the basic framework in place, go and educate yourself on investments. Don't go just throw your money in the stock market because that's what you hear on TV um, or, you know, a financial advisor told you. Find the plan that's right for you. So what I would do is, you know, if you're, if you're making $10,000 a month, you're living on 50% after taxes, four or $5,000, decide how much you need to put into cash flow investments and what those cash flow investments would be to replace that. And then find out how you're going to fund those. So again, I used our cash, um, our cash value life insurance policies. So for instance, you know, you put a hundred thousand dollars in, it's kind of like my own private bank account. I can go in, I can pull that money out. I can fund an investment and I can replenish that insurance policy, um, after the fact. So it's doing double duty for me. And then, you know, once you have that plan in place, you can really, it's almost like set it and forget it. Um, you just put the money in every month when the right investment comes up that meets your criteria, then you can go ahead and invest in that. And for us, it took about 10 years um, to reach, reach financial independence, um, which really in the grand scheme of things is not that long. And, you know, at that point, uh, I, I would say, you know, continue to educate yourself on investments because the landscape changes. And that's the reason we do what we do is to educate people on different alternatives that are out there and what's right for you might not be right for, for me or, or somebody else. Yep. Absolutely. What is going on in the, the markets that you're operating in as far as the, the multifamily, what markets are you guys looking at? What's going on there? What are you seeing out there? Yeah. So we love multifamily. Um, I've been invested in you know, a bunch of different types of real estate, uh, oil and gas, um, you know, commercial commercial real estate, uh, some venture capital, a bunch of different things. But where I have the most money is multifamily and specifically value add multifamily MC. So what we look at from a high level down is I'm a demographics guy. I know you had Harry S. Dent on your yep. show. Um, I think it was last month. And yep. great guy. Um, very entertaining. <laughs> I encourage people to listen to that. But I read one of his books about 20 years ago. So the, he focuses on demographics. So what we do is we look at markets in the country that are growing very fast. And when I say very fast, that's faster than the national average. So today, uh, we like the Southeast. We're looking at big markets like Atlanta, uh, some of the markets in Texas, the Carolinas, like Greenville, South Carolina, Raleigh, North Carolina, um, you know, markets that are growing that, that young people are moving to and baby boomers are retiring to. So one thing that very few people know, um, but I mentioned this in my book as well, is the fastest growing demographic of renters right now is baby boomers. So you follow the demographics and you find out what markets are going to do well. Uh, we like value add, so we're focused on uh, workforce housing, uh, which would be you know basically uh, affordable housing that's not subsidized, and also uh, kind of B plus housing that would be uh, something that professionals uh, that are making, you know, somewhere around $100,000 a year or more are going to be living in stuff that's going to be fairly recession resistant. And we like to buy the worst house in the best neighborhood. So our last acquisition was in the research triangle of Raleigh, North Carolina, lots of high tech jobs, lots of well-paying jobs, lots of medical. So very, very diverse employment 
in that market. Um, but you ask, like, what are we seeing in these markets? And what we're seeing today is very competitive. Uh, the margins are smaller than we were. So you really have to be careful about what types of opportunities you're looking at. If you overpay for a deal, it's going to be really hard to make money on it. If you're going into a deal and there's not a lot of uh, meat left on the bone, what I mean by that is from a value add perspective, if there's not a lot of um, things to be done with the property that can increase revenue, increase rents, it's, it's going to be really hard to meet uh, projected investment returns on that. So you need to have boots on the ground. You have great relationships in those markets. You have to have you know, some ability to be, you know, not only creative with financing, but really understand, you know, the fundamentals um, between the timeline of what you want to have with that property and when you're going to execute your plan. And ultimately, you have to uh, either be or be partnered with an operator that is going to be able to execute in a market that is is highly competitive. And, you know, it's not, it's not a time like seven, eight years ago, we could buy anything and today have, have doubled or tripled or quadrupled your money. Right, right. Absolutely. What, uh, what do you look for in operators when you're vetting operators? What are some of the things that you take into consideration? Is there a checklist? There is. So, um, I mean, I could go down, down through it. I love, I love spreadsheets, uh, but really when it comes to operators, you want, you want a track record of success. So you want operators that have consistently outperformed their expectations. I think it's going to show a couple things. One, it's going to show that they're realistic. And two, that they know how to operate on a timeline and uh, really you know, exceed or meet investor expectations, hopefully exceed them, right? Um, the other thing you want is you want experience with a specific strategy. So, I mean, with value add, I can talk about that. You're going to want an operator that has someone in-house that has probably been a contractor or managed crews because the key is how fast can you improve the units to drive income that much faster. So, you know, if I told you MC, hey, this is a great investment, you're going to double your money. What are you going to ask me? You're going to say, well, how long is it going to take, right? So if I say you can double your money in this investment and it's going to take you five years, that's not so bad. If somebody says, hey, you can double your money, but it's going to take 10 years, well, I would say you can you could probably do better than that. So that's where that's where operational excellence is key. Um, and you want people that have also managed managers. So you want people that understand how to really push on a management team uh, that's going to be managing the day-to-day operations. So you know it's it's one thing to buy a good deal, but then you need an operator that knows how to execute on the strategy that they have. If it's value add, you want somebody that's managed those renovations. And then also you want uh, either someone on that team or that same person on that team that is able to make sure that they're looking over the manager's shoulders on that property every day. If they're not the manager um, and they're not doing a good job, they need to swap those managers out. And then lastly, I'll add, if, if value add is not your strategy, then you need to make sure that those operators have experience and a track record um, in the area of expertise that, that you're, you're uh, investing in. Yeah, absolutely. And now, now, de- now it's definitely the time to be cautious too. So Chris, you see, look at a, you see, look at a lot of deals. So what does a good deal look like to you? Uh, maybe you could give some of our listeners some insights when they are peppered with deals in their inbox too, or on the mailing list that they're on. 
Yeah, it is. It is a time to be cautious for sure. I'm looking at deals every day. Um, I, so you're going back to the data. So, you know, you look at demographics. So don't, don't just look at a deal that comes across your desk and say, Hey, this looks like a good deal. Decide first off what markets you want to be in. That's going to help you say no a lot. So I think you know, the difference between successful people and people that are kind of mediocre, it's how often do you say no? Do you focus on the right opportunities? It's, it's okay to only invest in one deal a year, as long as it's a deal that meets your criteria. So if you like the Southeast for the reasons that I mentioned, terrific. Pick, pick a market in the Southeast or a couple markets in the Southeast and wait for a deal that comes through there. Then you want to say, okay, is this market or, or sub-market? Um, so let's say, uh, oh, let's say, say Raleigh. We were just talking about the research triangle. So if you like Raleigh and you see a deal come across from the research triangle, look and see, is that area growing faster or slower than Raleigh as a whole? Is the, is the median income higher or lower than the market as a whole? Look at the rent growth. If you don't, if you don't understand these things, talk to talk to your partner who you, you're working with that's that's passing you these investments and ask them those questions. Say, hey, how does this compare to other markets you've seen? If average rent growth in, in the deal you're looking at is three percent, did the operator put in there that they're gonna grow five or ten percent? You know, you have to ask them those questions. Well, how, how do you think you're going to grow faster than the market? If the market's grown at 10% and they said, oh, we're going to grow at an average of three, four or 5%, that's probably pretty realistic. So make sure you understand what a good deal looks like before you go and jump in. Pick where you want, find out what a good deal looks like, ask lots of questions. Um, and then lastly, look at what what that market looked like during the last downturn. So you want to say, hey, what's, what's my downside risk on that? So let's say this deal does not, does not perform or does not outperform. What's the worst case scenario? Is this market going to drop uh, like Miami did you know, by, by 50% you know, in a downturn? Or is it going to have a diversity of employers and maybe it's not growing as fast as Miami, uh, but it's going to you know, maybe instead of 10% rent growth, it's going to have 5% rent growth. And instead of a 15% return, you only get a 10% return. Maybe you're okay with that. Um, so make sure you're comfortable you know, with the market you pick, with the performance expectations that are baked in into that, and then also make sure that you're looking at the downside risk. Um, and I think right now, you know, the, the multifamily value add is, is still a good space if you're selective. Um, I would be cautious right now uh, with with uh, hot markets, you know, like I was saying, you know, some markets like Miami, like San Francisco, like New York. Um, and I, I would also be cautious on, on development deals as well. You just want to give those, you know, a, a much, a much deeper drill down um, than you might some other areas that are a little more risk mitigated. Gotcha. Uh, Chris, some, like you've had a lot of success and continue to find a lot of success here. What are some of the stuff that's working in your personal life and some of the stuff that's working in your business and why do they work? Oh man, that's a good question. Um, so, uh, one, I, I appreciate it. I think, you know, the key, the key, if I, if I am having success is, um, self self-reflection. So, you know, I'm look. I'm a big. I'm a big plan guy. So I'm always looking. What am I going to do next year? How am I going to challenge myself over the next year? How am I going to challenge myself over the next quarter? And what am I going to do? You know, over the next week, and ultimately, what am I going to do today? So one of the things I tell my two boys, they're seven and nine, is do your best. And 
you know, I always want to be doing my best, but also looking and saying, hey, do I have any blind spots, you know, that I can be working on? Um, and part of that is, am I surrounding myself with people, with people that are challenging me? So I never, I never want to assume I know everything MC. Um, I always want to be learning more. I want to be challenging, you know, my beliefs and, you know, making sure that um, I'm making those, those right choices. And I think that implies both from an investing perspective um, as well as a personal perspective and, you know, put my money where my mouth is, so to speak. Uh, I just got back last month, went to an investment uh, meeting out in Phoenix, looking at a, a totally different area of uh, the real estate space that I, I have not invested in yet, but I think it's, it's going to have a place over the next decade. And I was really, you know, challenging myself to say, Hey, is this, is this, is this a good space? I need to learn about it, meet some new people, have different perspectives and, you know, make sure that you know, I'm looking at things that maybe I haven't ever looked at before. Not assuming that, you know, everything I'm doing is perfect. Now, one habit I've observed from wealthy and successful people is that they're always learning new things and studying new things. What are you currently learning and studying? Yeah, that was, uh, that was probably it right there. So um, I, I continue to study the, the, the demographic trends and buying habits of the baby boomers. So, you know, right now I am looking at, you know, how the baby boomers are transitioning uh, into retirement. And so part of that is they're going into multifamily. But what I'm looking at now is what are they going to be doing over the next 10 to 20 years? What markets are they going to be in? So I'm looking at uh, investment spaces like weight loss, um, like uh, like uh, age, like anti-aging um, spaces. Um, I'm looking at 3D printing, manufacturing. There's a great um, newsletter I read every week by Peter Diamandis. He wrote the book Abundance. And I always love to kind of look into the future and say, all right, you know, where are we going to be? You know, are, are our brain's going to be in, uh, in giant test tubes plugged into computers or, or what's going to be <laughs> happening? <laughs> I think, Something like and, that, right? Yeah, I, I, have, I have no idea. But, um, you know, really, I'm trying to, I'm trying to look at, uh, you know, what, where that demographic trend is going to push MC and you know one of the challenges I think we have is as humans is we think linearly and the world is not linear it's it's curvilinear so you know we can look into the future and say oh it's gonna it's gonna you know change at the same pace but in reality there are gonna be some changes that happen over the next five ten twenty years that are gonna totally reshape uh, what what we're seeing right now and I just want to make sure that you know I'm seeing those changes uh, before they happen and not get not get hit upside the head. Um, whether it's in my personal life or my or my professional life. Absolutely. Now, a core message in our show is to leave our families, communities, and the world better than we found it by passing down a mindset, values, and principles to future generations, not just money. So if you cannot pass on any money to future generations, but we're only allowed to pass on three principles to them to build wealth and achieve happiness and success, what would they be? I think number one is do your best. I tell my boys this and you know, when my, when my best friend Chris died, you know, I pledged to myself that I would, I would not have any regrets. I wouldn't go through life and say, oh, I, I, you know, I wish I asked that girl out or I, I wish I went on this trip or, you know, I wish I, I worked a little harder at this. Um, maybe I would have, maybe I would have won that race or maybe, you know, maybe I would have met, you know, the woman of my dreams. Um, you know, and I think if, if you do your best every day, people will see that and, even if you're not doing something that you, you want, you want to do, like maybe you don't want to run on the treadmill, but do your best when you're on that treadmill for 20 minutes, 
you know, my boys don't always want to do their homework. Do your best. Um, you know, number two, uh, this is a financial thing. I, I say, you know, save 50%, you know, live on, live, live below your means. Um, I think, you know, that's going to help. I can't, can't take money with you. Then, uh, you know, I hope that the people that hear me, uh, understand that if you live below your means, that's probably the easiest thing that you can do to move towards financial independence. If you think about it, you know, if you, if you live on 50%, you just stick 50% in the bank and get, you know, an investment that meets inflation, you only have to work half the time you're alive, right? So mm-hmm. if you got, if you got 20 years and you live on 50% and you save for 10 years, you can live for 10 years and not work. And then, you know, the big thing is, and this came from kind of a, a, a maybe a B rated movie, like a B movie um, about 20 years ago, it was called employee of the month. And one of the characters in there said, decide what you want to be in life and start being it. And what I took that to be, um, I'll kind of elaborate on that is, you know, do what you're passionate about. And sometimes you have to do something that you don't want to do to get to be in a place where you can, you can do what you're passionate about. Like talking about training, um, like maybe you don't want to train, but you want to have the strength or the speed to compete. But then the other side of that is find somebody who is doing what you want to do or be, or, or is somebody that you really admire and then reach out to them and ask them how they did it. Because chances are, you know, you might be nervous to talk to them, but they will be flattered that you reached out. And I've found this so many times you, you say, Hey, can I take you out? Can I take you out to lunch? You know, I'd really love to learn a little bit more about your story. And what happens is they take you out to lunch. They share, you know, all this, all this information, and they would love to pass on that because for some reason, you know, we, we love to, we love to talk about ourselves and share our successes. Um, and, you know, I, I know it's a, it's kind of a, a silly movie, but, you know, decide what you want to be in life and start being it. Awesome stuff. Where can folks learn more about you? Where can they follow you? Where can they stay informed of all the projects that you're involved with? And I know there's a book and a podcast that you have as well. Uh, if you could just share a little bit more about that. Yeah, really easy. So next level income show, uh, next level income show.com next level income show.com. They can subscribe to our podcast. They can get our free ebook there. Uh, I'm going to be speaking at the multifamily uh, investor summit in January. They can get tickets there and see how to go online and get that. Uh, and they can keep up with, um, you know, all of the things that we have coming up as well as apply to be an investor with our group. Awesome. Well, Chris, thank you so much for coming on the show and sharing your journey and your knowledge and providing so much value for my listeners. It's been a pleasure having you on and always have a lot of fun chatting to you, my friend. Terrific MC. Thank you so much. Life settlement investments have allowed financial and banking institutions to not only buy their equity contractually, but also diversify their capital from any economic, market, and geopolitical risk. It's been part of the billion-dollar blueprint followed by institutional investors. And if you're an accredited investor, you can also now participate in this vehicle with enormous growth potential. You can watch an informational webinar presented by one of the premier organizations providing life settlement investments for number of solutions at cashflowninja.com forward slash life settlements.
Thank you again for joining me on the Cashflow Ninja. If you like what you hear and appreciate what we're trying to build here, please subscribe, rate, and write a review for our show on iTunes and share our show with family, friends, and your network. If you're not a subscriber to our newsletter, you can sign up for our newsletter at cashflowninja.com. I want to thank you for spending your most precious resource with me today, your time. Until next time, my friend, live a life of passion and purpose on your terms. This presentation is for educational and informational purposes only. The information being presented and considered does not consider your particular financial objectives or situation, and it does not make personalized recommendations. This material is not intended to replace the advice of a qualified tax and legal advisor or other qualified professionals, and you should not use the information in place of a customized consultation with a licensed professional regarding your specific personal financial objectives, situation and needs. We believe the information provided is reliable, but we do not guarantee its accuracy, timeliness, or completeness.